Well, good morning and welcome. I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Today, uh, I have the joy of continuing our series, A Community of Hope, from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And today we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. But as we start, I, I believe, brothers and sisters, that God desires something for you and I. And it's something that we desire for ourselves as well. I believe God wants us to be a community that is different from those that are around us. I believe God wants us to be individuals that are different from those around us. We live in days that are really challenging, but I believe God wants us to be a community and individuals who have a deep and lasting, secure hope pulsating deep inside of us, securing us, giving us peace and comfort from the inside, not from the circumstances, but something that is inside of us. And that is what I want to preach about today. I, I think of a house on a stormy, cold night with a cold, icy wind blowing against it and uh, a gale raging all around this house. And as you look inside the house, you see there's a fireplace. And inside the fireplace, there is a fire that is raging, that is, that is bringing light and comfort and warmth and security inside the house. And the, and the fire inside the house doesn't change the circumstances outside the house, but it does change the experience of those circumstances for those in the house. I believe that as we come to this theme, a community of hope, I believe God wants us to be, as individuals and as a church, people with this deep fire inside of us, raging, a, a hope that is inside of us, that isn't linked to the circumstances around us, but gives us comfort and security in the midst of them. I don't believe any one of us want, would be happy to uh, be called a fair-weather Christian. To be someone who only has faith in God when life is comfortable and, and pleasant and, and easy, when there's no sickness or sadness or suffering. Uh, I, I don't believe any of us want to be someone who only believes in God when God seems to be doing what we've told God to do or what we want God to do for us. No, I want to, and I believe you want to, to be more like what I would describe a robust Christ follower. Someone who has got this deep hope inside of them, this fire inside of them, this vision of Jesus that sustains them through all the ups and downs of life. Someone who has their eyes fixed on Jesus, uh, the one who Hebrews 12 uh, verse 2 says, isn't just the starter of our faith, he isn't just the author of our faith, but he's also the finisher of our faith. He's the one who perfects our faith and the one whom 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8 says is also the sustainer of our faith. So he's the starter, he's the sustainer, and he's the finisher. The one who Colossians says he not only created the world, but he holds the world together, which includes you and me. I believe that we want to be robust Christians who have this deep hope inside of us because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. And so that is my prayer for you and for me this morning, that even from this message and from this series, that we would be Christians like that, a community, individuals joined together who really have a deep and an eternal hope that is fixed on Jesus. Jesus. 
you know, this series, A Community of Hope, I believe is, a, is an apt one. It's a timely one. Uh, we, we live in days where hope is a commodity that is in short supply. There's no shortage of anxiety and worry and stress and concern and fear. There, there's no shortage of that. But although hope is a desirable quality, it is something that is hard to find, dare I say it, impossible to find outside of faith in Jesus. And so as we come to our passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, there's just two points that I want to draw our attention to coming from just two verses. And so the first one is actually in the form of a question. And the question is, what are you hoping for? And I find this question in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 4. You know, it is entirely possible, in fact it's quite common, to be able to mention a topic and to have multiple different perspectives. When that topic is mentioned, to, you could mention the word Liverpool and you have some people suddenly elated and you get other people raising their eyebrows and turning away. You, 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 could, you could say, you could make a statement. You could say, uh, I hate exams. And from the perspective of a student, there's one thing in mind. But from the perspective of a parent or a teacher, there's another thing entirely. So mentioning the word hope, we need to then also ask a question or we need to have a defining uh, conversation around what it is we are hoping in. And so I want to ask the question in this first point, what are you hoping for or what are you hoping in? What do you think of when hope comes to mind? What sort of things are you actually hoping for? C.S. Lewis famously said that there is a problem that we have as human beings. And surprisingly, maybe, you, you might think that the problem with human beings is that we hope for too much or we desire for too much. But in fact, C.S. Lewis famously said that our problem is not that we hope for or desire too much or that our desires are too strong, but in fact that our desires are too easily satisfied. Let me read uh, to you from C.S. Lewis. He said this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are far too easily pleased, C.S. Lewis said. So what about you? When it comes to hope and asking the question, what are you hoping for or what is your hope in? I want to ask you are, you, are you aiming too low? Are you too easily satisfied by small little trinkets of hope? If you're hoping for small things like a good life, a comfortable life, a prosperous life, a healthy life, a safe life, a fulfilled life, if you're looking for those things, it's like you're looking, you're satisfied by mud pies in a slum in the gutter because you can't imagine what it's like to make a sandcastle at the seashore. Your hope goals, if those are your hope goals, if that's what you're hoping in and it's limited to that, your hope goals are way too low, they're way too small, and they're way too temporary. 
here in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, in what is really a throwaway comment hidden in a sentence. It's, it's not a teaching on hope, but in it we get an insight into the hope that is pulsating deep inside the Apostle Paul. It's a hope that, is, that sustained him. It's a hope that directed him. It's a hope that comforted him and guided him. It's a hope that shaped his whole life and his ministry and his actions. And it is a hope that can sustain, direct, comfort and, 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 and give us, shape our lives too, if we'll let it. So what is it? What was this hope that did all these things in the Apostle Paul's life? Well, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4 simply says this in the middle of a sentence, but just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, and here it is, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Here, uh, hidden in the sentence, we, we suddenly get an insight into the deep hope pulsating in the heart of the Apostle Paul. His life was directed by this hope, and his hope was the hope, the desire, that he would please God with his life. That's what his hope was, that he would please God with his life. Yes, now I know uh, that the Apostle Paul, and for you and I as well, if we've put our faith in Jesus, uh, if we've believed on the cross and we've asked God to forgive us, that our sins have been forgiven, and because of that, God's already pleased with us. Yes, we know that. God has reconciled us back into a right relationship with Him through our faith in Jesus. But brothers, that's not what Paul's talking about, and that's what not, not what I'm talking about either. Our faith journey doesn't stop at that moment of salvation. You see, when you see the magnitude, when you see the magnificence of Jesus and what He's done for you and what He's done for me, you, you don't just stop there. You, you do something. You respond to the magnitude and the magnificence of His love. And you respond by living your whole life to please the one who gave His life for you. You're not striving to make God happy. You know He's happy with you already because of Jesus. But you have been so smitten by God's love that you spend the rest of your days living with a hope of pleasing Him every day. So you live out a life of obedience, not motivated out of fear or out of striving, but motivated by love. And that love pleases God. I think of Nadine and I. This year we've been married 25 years. And Nadine loves me. I know it. She put a ring on my finger. I know she loves me. I'm totally secure in that love. I didn't wake up this morning thinking, I, I need to try and make her love me. I know she loves me. But the security of knowing that she loves me doesn't lead to apathy and complacency. No, it actually has the opposite effect. It makes me want to love her and please her even more. And so what I see in the Apostle Paul is something similar to that. Paul's hope, if we think of this theme, a community of hope, and we look at the Apostle Paul in this little verse, in these few words, 
I see the hope that was pulsating deep in the heart of the Apostle Paul. And his hope was to spend his whole life pleasing God. Pleasing the one who had loved him first. And so that hope guided his motives. It was his motive. It guided his morals. It guided his actions. He lived with this constant sense of, I want to please God. And so he and his team, they didn't stop preaching the gospel, the good news, the announcement about Jesus. They didn't stop when they were being threatened with their lives uh, many times and in many places. They didn't stop preaching because they weren't preaching. They weren't living to please people. They were living to please God. And God had entrusted, he says, this gospel, this good news, this word of God. God had entrusted it to them so they were going to please God and keep, keep preaching. They weren't hoping to please the people of their day. They weren't hoping to, to please the culture of their day. They were living to please God. They were fixated by that hope of pleasing God. And so that impacted how they lived and how they preached. And so there was this fire inside the Apostle Paul. And it was this fire of the hope of pleasing God with every waking moment in his life. Let's consider for a moment what the alternative is. Is there an alternative way of living? And actually in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 4, we see what the alternative is. Paul says he's not living to please men, to please human beings, but he's living to please God. And so the alternative, the other option, the other way to live is to live in the hope of pleasing other people. And you and I know what this is like. We could say more honestly that the other way to live is to live on the endless hamster wheel of people pleasing. Living our lives the whole time, worrying about what other people think of us, trying to project a certain view so that we can control what people will think of us. And if we're honest, how many of us are not on that hamster wheel right now at present? Living lives directed by, influenced by, shaped by, trying to control what we think other people think about us. Perception management. Doing what we do so that it will look a certain way, or at least we think it will look a certain way or be received in that way. It's really sad when we see someone doing something which is blatantly trying to affect the perception of someone else of them, isn't it? We, we, we've seen that. I know you don't do that. But it's sad when we see someone else doing it, isn't it? Trying to control what someone else thinks of them. But actually, how much of life isn't really driven by these things? I'm thinking of Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and YouTube. All these things fueled by perception management and, and, and living to please others. Even these days with justice issues and social justice issues. And, and did I say something or didn't I say something? And what will they think if I don't say something? And what will they think if I do say something? And so much of it is motivated by who am I living to please and what does that say about me? But here in our passage, we have a totally different way of living. We have the way that Paul was living. We have a way of being confident and secure and stable, living at peace 
with God and yourself, knowing whose you are, living for the audience of one, living every day, waking up every day, living, being guided by your actions and your words and your thoughts, thinking, how can I please God? Living secure in the knowledge that God is already happy with you because you've been reconciled to a right relationship through faith in Jesus. But then responding to that good news, to that gospel, living your whole life to please the one who loved you and who loves you in the present. Living in that way releases you from the burden of living the other way. And so Paul says that. He says he's living to please God. He's not directed by the the motive of trying to please people. And so pleasing God actually releases you from the burden, the endless burden of living in this other way. And so this hope of pleasing God helped Paul and it'll help you and it'll help me to live in a way to respond to people and to situations in a way that ends up being godly and pleasing God. I think of conflict. If your hope is to please God and you get involved in some sort of relational conflict or there's a situation where there's conflict, if you're living to please God, it would be reasonable for you to fire off a quick prayer and to ask God, God, what is your will in this moment? How can I please you even in the midst of this fiery moment? And if you think like that, and if you pray like that, it'll affect that moment and what you do or don't do in that moment. I think of how this hope living deep inside of us, uh, living in a world that doesn't agree with what's in the Bible. So much of what our world is, is in flux about and, and agitated over is, is not what agrees with the Scriptures. But if you have this hope inside of you of wanting to please God, it will give you courage and strength to stand up and to even be willing to stand out in a day where, where what the Bible says on issues of gender and sexuality and the complementary roles of men and women, uh, where, where what the Bible says seems so out of place and at odds with what our world says. And so when you think of this hope, it will really help to shape your life and your responses to life. So I ask you the question this morning, when you think about hope, what are you really honestly hoping for? And I pray that today, if, you, if you're honest, if you've been hoping for small things, trivial things, temporal things like, like comfort and prosperity and health and safety and fulfillment if if you've been hoping for those things if that's what you've been aiming at my prayer is that today you'd see that that is aiming way too low but that you would rather make it your daily goal to aim much higher to make your goal for your life to please God that that would be your goal and the hope of your life to please God with your whole life, with your finances, with your relationships, with your words and with your actions and your attitudes and your time and your talents and your resources. To, to please God with all of that, if you'd make that your hope, you're aiming so much higher. And if you do that, 
you will achieve amazing things for God. You will advance the kingdom of God in remarkable ways. You will end up blessing many people. And one day, God says, Scripture says, He will reward you forever in eternity for living that way in this life. And so I want to implore you to lift your hope of small, trivial, temporal things and to put your hope, to make your hope pleasing God, like the Apostle Paul did. The amazing thing is in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 12, I believe that when we live that way, we end up doing the exact thing that Paul says. We end up walking in a manner, in a way, that is worthy of who God is and what he's done for us. So Reconciliation Road Church, I pray that we may be a community that don't have small little trinket and temporal hopes, but we may be a community whose hope, whose individual and corporate hope, is that we are a couple of hundred people who live in the hope of pleasing God with all of our lives. Because when we live like that, we will do remarkable things together as a local church and as individuals in our community and our nation. Secondly, from our passage, I want to draw your attention to 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 13. And that's the second hope that I want to point us to. And the hope that I see in 2 verse 13 is the hope of the gospel. You could say the hope of gospel seeds. As we consider what it means to be a community of hope from this book in 1 Thessalonians, this is this other phrase that grabbed my attention. Let me just read a verse 13 of chapter 2. And so we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, that's another way of saying the gospel, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, the gospel which is at work in you, believers. So we know from history and from Scripture that the Apostle Paul was in Thessalonica for probably only two to three weeks. He uh, arrived there with his team. He started preaching in the synagogue. He preached the Word of God, as we see in this verse. He preached the Gospel, and because he preached the Gospel, people believed we know that some Jews believed, we know that many Gentiles believed, and we also know that a number of prominent women also believed, and they became a brand new church community. The gospel was preached, a community of faith gets formed, people are reconciled to God through Jesus, and start getting reconciled, Jew and Gentile, men and women, become this church, this multicultural church, because of the gospel. But sadly, straight away, resistance rises in Thessalonica. And if you read in Acts 17, you find out that there's a riot, there's a mob. And, and for safety, Paul and his team end up having to leave. These brand new believers, they've just believed in Jesus. And now the one who shared the gospel with them and who was teaching them, uh, who was giving them a lead, as it were, has to leave. And these believers are left. And Timothy probably stayed with them for some time. And then Timothy leaves them and comes back with this letter that we're reading today. But what we see in verse 13 here is that Paul has another hope. Our first point was that his hope was to please God. 
But the second thing is that he had a hope in the power, the transformative, ongoing power of the gospel in the lives of believers. He had sowed some gospel seeds and he had a hope, he had a confidence that the gospel had power to keep working in their lives. We know from Romans uh, 1 verse 16 that Paul believed that the gospel was the power of God for salvation. But the, the, the gospel doesn't just save us. It doesn't just change our eternal address. But it actually changes our lives as well. And that's what we see in the, the letter to the Thessalonians and this verse in particular. Paul here we see is convinced that the gospel seeds that he sowed in those two or three weeks that those seeds were continuing to work inside of those believers. And so even though he was removed, he couldn't be with them, he was isolated from them, you could say, even though they were separated, he knew the gospel was at work in their lives. Friends, when we believe in Jesus, the power of the gospel begins a process of transformation in us that is powerful and is ongoing. It is unstoppable, you could say. Even though Paul had to leave these believers alone, he has this glorious confidence that it's the gospel that he shared with them. And because it's the authentic gospel, the good news about Jesus that's been shared with them, that gospel will continue to work inside of them to produce change in them to make them more and more like Jesus. And so that was his hope for them gospel seeds. If you think about a seed, a seed is a powerful metaphor for hope. Inside of a seed contains all the future life of a tree or a plant. All the fruit that's going to come from the tree, the safety and security from the shade and the comfort of that shade, the beauty of the tree, all the future of a tree is in that seed. Well, the seed of the gospel contains a future hope a hope for transformation, a hope for eternity. So when we believe the gospel as individuals, that gospel, the seed of that gospel contains the power, the hope that we will keep being changed to be more and more like Jesus. Just today we heard uh, Carl's testimony of how the gospel's power has continued to change what has been a very difficult part of his life, a struggle. The gospel has produced that change inside of him and the gospel will produce that change inside of you and me as well. Friend, if you have believed in Jesus, if you've believed the gospel, there is a power that is at work in you that is unstoppable and that produces a hope. That produces confidence. When you're struggling with some sin issue or you're really just not getting victory in a certain area of your life, it's the power of the gospel that you can put your hope in, that God is still at work in you. I think of us as a church. When, when the gospel is preached, we have become a community of hope, a community centered around the gospel. When we are reconciled to God through Jesus, we can also be reconciled to one another. We're a glorious, uh, non-racial, multicultural, class-crossing church of diverse people who've all been brought together because of the power of the gospel and being fixed 
on Jesus has brought us into relationship and proximity with one another, despite our diversity and our differences and our, and our hurts and our pains and our challenges. The gospel is the seed for hope for a community that is reconciled to one another. And so when we live out the gospel in, a, in, in our church life or in a community, what we're actually doing is we're putting on display the hope of the gospel for continued transformation. My prayer is that we as a church would continue to reflect the hope that our country so desperately needs. My prayer is that as you go to your workplace or the place that you study or the place where you live, that you would take with you the seeds of hope, the seed of the gospel's transformation, that you can bring that change wherever you go. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is both at work within us as individuals and within us as a community of hope. Our world, our nation, people all around us are desperate for hope. And if you've put your faith in Jesus, you know the hope that they need. His name is Jesus. You know that people who are hoping on small little things, they need a bigger hope. They need a hope that is eternal. They need that fire that is burning inside of them, that even though the storms rage outside, there is a hope inside that keeps us safe and secure, a hope that is not just temporary, but a hope that is eternal. My prayer for you today is that you and I would have this hope that the Apostle Paul had pulsating deep inside of his heart. That we would have that hope. We wouldn't be satisfied with little things. But we would make it our hope to please God daily in our lives. We would regularly pray prayers like, God, what pleases you in this? And the Holy Spirit will speak to you. He will speak to you. And that will guide and direct and shape your actions and your attitudes and your behavior. My prayer is that you would have a confidence in the hope of the gospel seeds that have been planted in your life. And in our life as a community together. That that gospel has the power to keep on changing us. To be more and more like Jesus. I pray that you and I would be a community of hope, fixing our eyes on Jesus Christ, our great hope, and that we would do amazing things and see amazing things as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. Let's just close for the time of prayer. Lord Jesus, I thank you that in a, in a time, in an age that is so desperate for hope, that we are a people and a community of hope. And Lord, I pray for everyone who is listening to this message today. I ask for anyone, Lord, who has settled for focusing or, 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 or going for uh, small temporary hopes that are so trivial compared to you and pleasing you. I want to pray that in your grace and your mercy, you'd help us to see it. We would see that what, we, what we're aiming for is way too low. And we would make our hope that which was the Apostle Paul's hope, that he lived 
to please you. That that was the hope of his life. And that hope shaped his life and transformed him. God, I pray that that change that came in Paul's life would be in our lives too. And lastly, I thank you, Jesus, for the hope and the power of the gospel to transform not just individual people's lives, but to transform a whole community. Lord, I thank you that we as Reconciliation Road Church are a community of hope because we are centered around you, Jesus, and your gospel. And I pray, Lord, that anyone who is struggling with sin or compromise or really battling to get victory in some area of their life, they would have a glorious confidence and a certainty that your gospel's power is within them and it contains the power to see godliness in each one of us. And so I pray, Lord, for change. I pray for victory in areas of sin and compromise, Lord. I pray, Lord God, Lord, for victory in areas, Lord, where, where maybe there's been fear or depression or anxiety. Lord God, I pray for hope in the power of the gospel. And Lord, we also pray for our community, for our church. We pray, Lord God, as we face massive issues as a nation, Lord, I want to pray this church would be such a community of hope because we centered on you, Jesus, and we have this glorious confidence that what you've started in us as a church, you will bring to completion. For your great name's sake and your glory we pray this. Amen.